my garage band stopped for a second so you're gonna have to cut me in right here and i'm eric wilson what oh okay i'll start over Hey everybody, welcome to Tender Friends, the only podcast about chicken tenders and chicken nuggets. I'm Michael Walker. And I'm Eric Wilson. Welcome to episode 152 of Tender Friends. I feel like now that we've hit 151, even though we actually haven't, it's easier to count now. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll throw out a little number at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, like to are. say it out loud? Yeah. Okay, sure. That's fine. I mean, past 150, it sounds actually kind of impressive, right? Yeah, right. Then people, it's like anybody who's just starting right now can be like, "Oh fuck!" Yeah, like I got some, I got some shit to catch up on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we're very excited for this week's episode. As we mentioned last week, these past two weeks, we are doing redo spots. We're giving second chances to places we've been before. Um, last week, we went to Denny's with Bill Oakley. That was a lot of fun. Uh, we did have, a, we do have a little uh, ed- editor's note, a little correction. If you will, yeah. This is like the, this is the first time, right? This might be the first time. We've no, ever I think had it's happened it? several times actually, and sometimes we I don't just even have think never we said it. anything. Um, <laughs> but okay. here we are uh, for Denny's. In our points last week, they actually got six points, which is one higher than what they previously had, which was five points. And I was supposed to look at the last episode and see if there was any points that we missed, like history or anything like that, and I did not. So does it really matter? The, the journey no. will continue. No, I mean, it'll, it'll be like a one-point difference. So they're at six yeah. points right now. I will check for next week, maybe. I don't know. Uh, and maybe they get seven. <laughs> Who knows? Who cares? It does Who not cares? matter. They are not tender friends recommended. However, this week's spot has an interesting journey uh, surrounding it. There's a lot yeah. of, lot of uh, uh, adventures that we've been on surrounding this place, surprisingly. Obviously, um, we did this place before, hence the second chance part of it. Um, and, uh, now we're doing it again because obviously we're in the pandemic and they opened up a ghost kitchen. I think it's a ghost kitchen or it's a kitchen. I'm pretty sure it's a ghost kitchen. They're just delivering. Um, and, uh, we're excited to, to jump in because there's a lot to talk about, uh, surrounding this place. So we're not going to waste any time and we have an amazing guest and we want to talk to him about more than just this spot because, uh, it's been a busy pandemic for him as well. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. So let's introduce our guest. He's back with us after a year and a half hiatus. Um, <laughs> we uh, are very excited to have him, writer at Eater LA. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Farley Elliott. Baba Booey. Is that the show? Do we say Baba Booey on the show? Uh, this is. We, we coined it. We started it. We actually, That's us. Yeah. We actually got a cease and desist for saying Baba Booey too much. So <laughs> uh, if we could cut that out, that'd be great. Uh, Farley, <laughs> welcome back. Buddies. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'm I'm holding on. I, I sometimes feel like the Grim Reaper, just wandering around yeah. giving mm-hmm. people bad news. But that that's part of the job, unfortunately. <laughs> can I can I tell you? I wrote out notes, obviously, because I'm I'm a journalist here, uh, and I wrote down, "Do you like being called the Grim Reaper of 
food in LA now because I feel like that's kind of like where you've been for the last few months, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And we should, we should back out one level just for anybody who, who doesn't happen to know what eating not, in LA is. Yeah. Um, basically I'm a restaurant reporter. I'm not a food critic. I'm not some anonymous guy. My job is to be like a sports reporter, but for restaurants. And so usually, mm-hmm. uh, in the pre pandemic days that involves eating a lot of good food and getting to know a lot of people and having fun, wild, you know, 1928, just before the crash times where everyone's pouring champagne into increasing (laughs) it never ends and now i have to have very hard conversations with people about the future of their livelihood and what that means for the health and safety of millions of people in the state and and what i will be completely honest in saying is is an abject failure at the government level from state to federal on down to county and city so it's been challenging but we're hanging in we should say you're you know my eventually get the nickname Grim Reaper, but you're not the one actually killing these these spots. Yeah. We should give yeah, you some credit the there. <laughs> there should be, you know, you wouldn't... Just to be clear. Like, you're, you're like, if the Grim Reaper has, like, a a town crier <laughs> that follows it. Yeah, you're, you're the... like, hey, let me tell you, you know... You're, you're, you're the you're Grim the Reaper's Twitter. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. the type of <laughs> Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a few interesting months. Can you talk about the state of uh, the restaurants in L.A. and, like, what COVID has done to them? Because, obviously, we see it all the time that restaurants are closing left and right. Um, some are expanding. Um, so can you talk about kind of the landscape out here? Of course. So March 15th was when the city and then the county and then March 17th, the state said you can no longer do indoor dining for restaurants. It had already started to get a little scary in the first couple of weeks of March with increasing numbers and, and uh, community spread starting to happen. And then once that closure of indoor dining came about, it was essentially forcing restaurants into a model that they were mostly never intended to fulfill. Outside of you know neighborhood pizza places, you don't really build your restaurants restaurant model on doing the kind of delivery and takeout numbers it takes to be financially sustainable. But when that's Mm -hmm. your only business model, because the government is literally mandating that you act that way and not giving you any financial recourse to help offset those problems, you start to run into a ton of issues. Early on, you know, Postmates and and DoorDash and all these companies were charging upwards of 30 or 40 percent per order, which is completely unsustainable. You saw the immediate furlough or complete release of tens of thousands of employees. You know, in Los Angeles County, upwards of 30 to 40% of restaurant employees are undocumented. These are people who automatically lose out on every single side of this thing. They don't have the ability to, in most cases, get unemployment, and they also don't have an ability to make money anymore. So it got really scary and really bad really quickly. Um, We started- Real quick, before you you go on, sorry to interrupt. Talk about the Postmates thing. So you're saying, so if if I spent $100 at a a restaurant, $30 of that is going right to Postmates, regardless of the- if I, you know, if I spent 90 of it in food and 10 was in fees, they're yeah. still getting $30 of that? Exactly. So you're, you're talking wow. about, you know, the there's the base order pre-tax that has a percentage mm-hmm. drawn against it for the restaurant. And that's ultimately negotiated between Postmates and the restaurant. But because these companies were so big and so ubiquitous, they were able to offer um, pretty high floors and say, listen, we can't go below 28% or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And usually, you know, if you're tipping somebody, even you think you're doing the right thing and you are in a sense, you know, tipping the delivery driver of your food, that's great. But none of that money, again, is going to any the workers inside and they're just as vulnerable 
Uh, yeah. Right. And yes. so I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it, it became really, really problematic. The county ultimately stepped in and, and said that they're going to cap delivery fees at 15%. Um, that's had its own serious legal litany of issues. But the point is, it, it immediately has forced restaurateurs, you know, you'd think for a while, oh, if, if I'm the old Baru space in Los Angeles and I've got, you know, a six seat table inside of a strip mall, that's really great for me because I don't have a lot of overhead. But now with the pandemic, if you wanted to even see people inside or out front, you could only do four people say. So you can't even yeah. do the kind of money doing indoor dining that you would have. And if you had you know, Bestia, 400 seats that you can turn over a couple of times, you think, oh, that's great. I can make it up in volume. But once you lose all those seats, now you're paying all this money on a huge restaurant space that you can't do anything with. So it has forced people into these new models, which is what we're going to talk about today. Ghost kitchens, focusing on delivery, scaling down service in order to increase the ability to just push product out into the atmosphere. Um, where do you see kind of, do you, do you see now that things are I mean, they're not getting really back to normal as much as people are saying they are, but is it balancing out? Are people coming back? Is it, is it you know, what, what's kind of the future of the next few months so should things start getting better? You did see a number of jobs come back. It's certainly a small percentage compared to the entire industry. Um, that was mostly due to PPP money and some federal injection of funds. But now that our $600 extra you know, per week in unemployment has gone away, now that it doesn't seem like a stimulus check is coming, now that there's no more PPP money really expected to come, restaurants are back down the end of the rabbit hole figuring out what yeah. they're going to do. So uh, I think the fall, regardless of what happens with the flu season and the pandemic, and some incoming vaccine, very unfortunately, you are just going to see an acceleration of restaurants that run out of money really, really quickly. Now, I, I want to make one thing very clear because, again, Grim Reaper, um, there, is, <clears throat> there is a lot of positivity that is going to come out of this. People are now focusing much more than ever on the lives of workers and not just the name of the chef or the owner. People are... Yeah talking about um, ways in which they can feed and address their community issues directly, whether it's Black Lives Matter or unhoused or undocumented back of house workers and things like that. And if you take a look at the sort of 08, 09 Great Recession model, we got Kogi Barbecue out of that. We got the beginning of the rethinking of restaurant models so that people can get mm. in with low cost and feed their immediate communities. And that's what we're going to return to. It may even lead to a draining out of larger cities, but you are going to re-democratize restaurants and take it out of the hands of people with a ton of cash to get in the door. And that's ultimately a good thing as hard as this all is. It's yeah, I feel like that's something that uh, that happens a lot with any sort of disaster, but things need to get really really bad and there usually is some sort of good phoenix that rises from the ashes, yeah. whether it be, you know, more attention towards undocumented workers, or the people the people in behind the scenes that need it. Um I think I I think personally the boom of ghost kitchens is it can be really cool. Can be. And I th and I think you know, this is something I'm sure we'll talk about today, but there are systemic issues, I believe, within ghost kitchens and takeaway only models that need to be addressed in sure. order to scale really well. How do you feel about the outdoor dining that is happening right now? So I personally am not outdoor dining. I haven't eaten at a restaurant since March. That has less to do with, you know, I think some restaurants are really, really awesome about their safety protocols. Not all of them are. Um, yeah. I trust a lot of great people. It is not a knock on them whatsoever. My issue is 
this whole thing sort of feels like the sinking Titanic in very, very slow motion, not just for the restaurant industry, but for all of us sitting at home, drinking and eating sourdough to our fucking delight. And I don't want to be the guy at the very end of the Titanic who's eating caviar on a potato chip going like, my life's fine, as people you know feed me with a mask on that may or may not have health insurance. Yeah. Yes, that's where that's that's my massive thing, too, is it just feels so wrong for me to be sitting outside while my server is just covered in multiple layers of plastic to protect them from me. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I don't need to it eat just, outside that much to, to like, right, exactly. be all, just, you know, yeah, I just don't need French. It just doesn't make much. sense to me. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, my job is still to interact with restaurants. My job is to be out eating, is to be supported in ways that in which I can, and also just to keep learning about the city. So I'm, I'm doing takeout as often as possible and driving around the city and making sure that people are heard at every level, even if I'm not sitting down to smile with a bit of parsley in my teeth. What yeah. are some of the, the big ones that you've found recently? What are some of your favorite places that you found and eaten within the last couple weeks i mean i think there's a lot that's still being done really well if you look at hail mary and atwater village they basically ran into issues at the very beginning with the delivery model and it was not just how much they were paying in fees but you know the the people who are coming to pick up the food for postmates or whatever they maybe didn't have all the protocols in place they're harried they're trying to yeah yeah so they were feeling like their employees were at risk. And so they basically shut down and decided to move entirely in-house with all that stuff. They're doing hyper-local delivery. They're also doing takeout where you call and say, hey, this is my order number. I'm sitting outside. And they put it and drop it in your trunk. That's the the way to do it, I think, if you want to still create a direct connection and have all the money go back to the restaurant. Places like Rosso Blue, Bavel and Bestia in downtown, Kismet, they're all doing similar sort of things. And I think that's a really workable model. I've also been really heartened at the old school places, the Lowry's, that are doing some outdoor dining, but are also just like, fuck it, we're going to give you too much prime rib in a styrofoam container. You can go on yeah, yeah. yourself. Like, that's great. You know, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the, that is the one good thing I feel like that's come out of this since almost the beginning is like people, people's push to support small local businesses mm-hmm. and, uh, and kind of primarily going to those places instead of constantly ordering, um, you know, from national chains. And then the same thing with the Black Lives Matter movement and supporting black local businesses. Are there any, um, are there any fried chicken spots that you can recommend to people throughout? I mean, obviously we hit up Harold's, we hit up Helen Ray's, uh, but are are any that you've, uh, found over the last few months that are still pumping out chicken that, that's uh, good quality? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been really happy to see that the Honey's Kettle folks out of Culver City recently expanded mm-hmm. into the Ghost Kitchen game, so they're now working a new place out of downtown. Oh, nice. Same with Sky's Gourmet Tacos, which is like this awesome 25-year-old I love Sky's. Yeah, black-owned taco spot that is now this week getting into the sort of Ghost Kitchen game. So people are, because of the boon that has come from the support of black restaurants around Los Angeles, people are getting into that model more you still have old school spots dinas you know down in culver city and up here in glendale um jim dandy's in south la just great classic fried chicken spots and then even like hotville chicken in the crenshaw mall where the malls closed basically but they are still able because they've got a door facing the street to pump out some of the best chicken in the city yeah but eric and i haven't tried hotville but god i can't wait to do it yeah uh, hot, I think we're gonna... make hot i mean i know you're on episode 152 or whatever try to get there before <laughs> episode three because it, like, episode 300. It, it is so good good you can't believe it i just realized i put my polo on backwards <laughs> what not, wait, not, not inside it's out, inside out. backwards it's it, sorry inside out yeah i was, gonna uh, I was like i was wondering why this button was so it. hard to put on it's fucking inside <laughs> out what an idiot anyway let's talk about 
some of the more surprising closures that you've seen or maybe some of the ones that you've been most upset about? Because there's been some legendary places that have, that have closed due to all this. I mean, some of them weren't financially great to begin with you know, going into the pandemic. I think a lot of businesses found that out, that they were you know struggling from, the, from jump and this just made it worse. So any that hurt you? Well, even more than restaurants figuring out that they're less financially viable, you know, I would bet uh, dollars to donuts. Most of those places pretty much knew that they were walking a tightrope, and that's just sort of the nature of the restaurant. Yeah. It's, it's, I would say, the public outcry and telling those people, hey, this is real. Like, this is how it has always been. This is how slim the margins have always been for restaurants, and this is what the fallout mm-hmm. looks like now. Um, places I've been really, really saddened by, Broken Spanish, um, fantastic modern Mexican restaurant in downtown by Chef Ray Garcia. He was kind of leading what has been of this Alta California movement where you're taking, you know, first or second generation native Angelinos who have a background in, in either Mexican cooking or some other fine dining cooking, but have a cultural resonance with Mexican food and are doing it their way. Um, that is the sort of loss that I think hits LA really hard and will be felt for a really long time. That was, that was a recent one, right? Really recent. Yeah. It was a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah. Right? Two um, weeks ago. Joseph Centeno, Baco Mercat, I mean, his kind of genre-defining restaurant oh, yeah, in downtown. That, too. that cookbook that I have, like, I make that Baco bread all the time. And that dude, like, throughout this pandemic, at his fine dining restaurant, Orson Winston, has just every single week been feeding hospital and frontline workers. Uh, his place got broken into and um, was was hit pretty hard during the civil unrest around uh, cops unrightful, unlawfully shooting black men in the back, which hasn't stopped anytime soon. And, you know, it's, instead of being like, oh, my restaurant... I'm already struggling. He's like, you guys want to donate money to me? Give us a Black Lives Matter movement. Like that guy is a real one since day one. And Baco is the kind of place that LA will also really miss. I do hope one day all these restaurants can 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 come back, hopefully. Yeah, and there, there's a version, right? Like he's doing some of his Baco favorites at Barama, which is his Tex-Mex. Sure, right. And so I think you'll be able to get versions of that. Here's looking at you in Koreatown is another one. You know, two folks who come. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah I know. They come from the animal empire, just the nicest, kindest, hardest working folks. And even their landlord is a guy named Jimmy Han, who used to own Beer Belly in Koreatown. He's got a Beer Belly down in Long Beach. He's like a he's a dude who gets it. He's also an operator, and he you know got into the family money and was able to buy this building where the restaurant is. And at the end of the day, it's not sustainable for any one of them, and it's through no fault of their own. It's without federal intervention, everybody's stuck. Yeah, we're a big fan of Beer Belly on this uh, podcast. Huge fan. We love those guys. Um, there are people who have been like kind of uh, I don't want to say thriving because I feel like thriving in a pandemic has a negative connotation even though there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like people like, uh, you know, Chef Greenspan uh, and, uh, and and who's doing who's doing uh, movies? Oh, uh, Royce Burke. Yeah, oh, Chef Royce, yeah. Royce Burke. Uh, both have been on the show. Um, and, and they're kind of finding innovative ways to stay alive during the pandemic, if you will. Um, so let's talk about ghost kitchens because Eric has one of the best ghost kitchens that we've been to or have had on the show uh, in Boo Boo's, which is, I don't think any, any is open any longer. I think I, did he shut down Alt Grub Faction? I haven't seen those. I, as far as I know, he's, he's behind, um, Tiger Bites and I feel like he's focusing. I, I'm not sure if exactly if the Alt Grub Faction restaurant still exists. I believe that he sold those off and they might've wound down. He got into a different deal for a new ghost kitchen property out of Hollywood instead of his original space. And so that's partially where the shift has come from. But yes, he is helping out with the Tiger Bite stuff. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the ghost kitchens were in that place on Washington yep. down yeah. like near Mid-City. And that's one. kind of like an inconvenient place to to deliver to. I feel like you need to be a little more centered into the 
into the hub of things. Yeah. And, and it, you know, used to be, where can we get commercial property that is a little bit out of the way, but close enough to some city center. And now it's like every yeah, right. place is a ghost kitchen. So, you know, in talking yeah. about our places today run by the Hwood group, they're a ghost kitchen in the sense that they're delivery only, but they're not the version 1.0 ghost kitchen model where it's just a commissary yeah. with no windows. They're cooking it out of their existing restaurant spaces simply because yeah. they've got the time. Sure, yeah, I feel like sense. I looked at the map. Did did Lila's actually come from Forty Love? No, it came from Petite Taqueria, which is another restaurant that they own. Oh, okay, basically right next door. Okay, okay. I looked at the arrows. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the same place. So let's talk about ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens have been something we've been fascinated with since um, since we went to one back. I don't know, a year and a half ago. Uh, yeah. We tried uh, Boo Boo's with Eric Greenspan's restaurant, and. We, we spent a lot of time talking about it with Nicole Zuka and then um, Eric when we had him on the show. And it's it's a fascinating concept. And it just blew up because of the pandemic because it was it was almost like it was like being molded to be unleashed on the pandemic. It was it was weird how like they kind of aligned and like fit perfectly together. But what what is the future of ghost kitchens and, and are they sustainable uh, will restaurants, when they come back, still open up ghosts? Because even Spaga was on a, was was running a ghost kitchen for a little bit. So, wh- what do you what do you think the future of that is? Do you think it's going to continue to grow, or is it going to fizzle out eventually? Well, I think there's different ways to think about it. You know, one version of a ghost kitchen is a place that already has a recognizable restaurant, either a group name or individual restaurant brand, something like Spago or Cantor's is a great example. They just want to, mm-hmm. yeah. they want to increase the footprint. They want to make delivery more viable, but keep all their branding the same. And if you want to go to the restaurant, you can still do that. So that's one version. Another version is, hey, we are a, a restaurant that wants to do something slightly different, but under the umbrella of the place you already know. So so Casilla out in Santa Monica, they now have like Casilla rice and noodle, which does dumplings and other, you know, really travel well kind of foods. They're cooked out of the Casilla kitchen. You can go for more fine dining food or you can go get the to go. And then the third version is the true ghost kitchen model where it's all just like taking a shotgun of branding, loading it and firing it into the sky. You'll might have yeah. one, one restaurant space that's got five different pizza labels under it. And they're basically making slightly yeah. different pizza versions and selling them under different names or the stuff that Greenspan's doing where there is no physical location. It is exclusively different brands cooked out of the same space. And so I think depending on which model you're after, some may have more viability than others. I really I hesitate with the third one, even long term, where it's just all about needing to create a brand for something that's not tangible. I think that's really challenging long term because people don't have a way to make a a really in-depth association with who you are. If Bestia decides yeah. to open a ghost kitchen in Santa Monica and start selling Bestia food, everyone knows Bestia already, so that's great. But trying to, you know, outside of movies having a, a, a movie franchise behind it, I just don't know how you're ever going to gain the kind of traction to remain visible long term and not be anything other than, oh, I happened to scroll in at the right time I picked your place. Yeah, I mean, even even the, the Chuck E. Cheese situation, people people seemed pretty upset about that, that they, they were ordering <laughs> from Pasquale's Pizzeria and then they were just getting a Chuck E. Cheese pizza. It's also like so I think, Chuck E. Cheese. Like, people I know. <laughs> Chuck e. Cheese, you don't you don't have to fucking buy an Instagram handle. It's yeah, fine. yeah. So it's, it's I feel like some people feel duped by that. But uh, we got Umami Burger, or we got... Um, Umami Burger has has a ghost kitchen that that runs a chicken uh, ghost kitchen. Oh yeah, Sam's restaurant. crispy chicken, right? So yeah, I mean, I guess it's 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 the smart thing to do in this situation, really. I mean, it's it, 
do you think it's viable enough to keep people afloat? Should I, this go for a few more months or? I mean, I, I think don't it's think there's just any, enough or there's no such thing as a float in this scenario, you know, and I, I could yeah. be wrong. I haven't talked to every single operator and every single restaurant in LA County. I think that there are people that are doing well in the fast, casual, you know, quick service takeaway, low <clears> overhead <throat> models, and that's enough to be sustainable ish. But the reality is that this is not going to be functional a year from now just because it's the rents are going to go back up as everybody takes all the ghost kitchens and landlords are going to start demanding money. We're basically just kicking the can down the road for a lot of financial Mm -hmm. overhead stuff. So, um, Mm -hmm. you know, long-term, I think it's always going to have a place. This is something David Chang in New York city was on for a really long time. He had maple and some other company that was all ghost kitchen related. I I think that delivery, if you look at Asia or places that are traditionally ahead of us in tech stuff, it's going to have its place in the dining milieu you but ultimately especially when this is over people are going to want to get out and see their fucking friends and drink like do you guys remember like going to eat at a restaurant and then you get a text from your (laughs) friend that they were like half a mile away at a bar and you'd be like now i'm going to a bar like i can't imagine (laughs) doing that again that's all i'm gonna want to do fuck getting like bad grilled cheese sandwiches sent to me for too much money i'm gonna want to go out Little little food cart action outside of uh, Harvard and Stone. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, the Nugget Spot, right? What were they called? The the, the Nugget Spot or something? The Nug Spot, I think. The Nugs? No, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. But they had good Nugs, so we're calling them the Nug Spot. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So let's get into this week's location because there's a little history here. Okay. So we went to what they're calling Lila's as their ghost kitchen. But in reality, it is the restaurant Delilah's, which we went to a while ago. I don't even remember. That was, is that, that was fair pretty... to say, though? Is that fair to say that it's the same? I, th- I would say that they're serving the item, but it's not. See, it's I knew you were going to bring this up, place. and I'm, I'm so annoyed that you would even, like, bring up this conversation. Yes, it's obviously the same. Yeah. They literally Probably, took what do you, two how do you letters out of They took two letters. <laughs> <laughs> they took two letters out of their name. It's the same exact color scheme and branding. They're in one of their restaurants. It's obviously like 100%. It's Delilah's. I know, but I don't know if it's the same. Is it the same recipe for chicken tenders? They, well, they were okay. much smaller. Not That's to jump fair. ahead, but I found them to be different, and that caused me to lead down the path of perhaps these aren't the same chicken tenders we had from Delilah. See, that's a fair question because this is now the third time that we've had Delilah's, right? It is, yes. And, and this and, is and, the and, third type of chicken tender that we've had from Delilah's, I feel like. They were fucking different each time, right? I mean, I know that we went the first time and we had no qualms with the chicken tenders the first time we went there, other oh, no. than that they were I too did. expensive. We thought they weren't I did very, not like, we like thought the they were, tenders the first time. And then the second time we have them at Tenderfest, they're fucking great. Of course, that's a spot where you need to have your tenders shine because, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's a fest for chicken tenders. They're pumping them right out of a, a fryer directly into your hands, right? So, of course, they're going to be good. Let's explain the first situation. So we went to Delilah's. Obviously, it's a, it's a beautiful restaurant. It's Drake's favorite restaurant. We had John Terzian on the show before. He's the president of H. Wood Group. I don't know his title, but he's the owner, maybe. I don't know. Um, we can cut it. We can just cut it. It's fine. Oh, no. uh, so he's been on the show before. He's talked about his recipe. He's very proud of his, his chicken tender recipe. It's Drake's favorite restaurant. He told us he's flown chicken tenders to Drake across the country at, at times. I mean, it was his claim that there's there's numerous famous people that go straight from the airplane to Delilah for the chicken tenders. Which, I mean, I do see a lot of 
I, I have seen celebrities at Delilah's and I have seen them post pictures and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not saying that's, but I mean, they didn't hold up really well from WeHo to Los Feliz. So I don't know how they would hold up flying across country. Um, but yeah, I mean, but we know he's, he's good friends with Drake and stuff like that. So it's, it's a fun place. It's like, a, you know, it, it feels like old Hollywood, even though it's not obviously because you can't take pictures when you're inside. You can't take pictures inside. The waiters wear tuxes. It's, it's great. It's it's a fun experience. It's very overpriced. Um, I still wouldn't give it a price point in the ghost kitchen mode as well, even though they were a little better. I think they were twenty two dollars when we ordered them in the restaurant. It's yeah, it was like twenty two or twenty four. And now These they're eleven. Twelve or eleven, yeah. Well, now they're eleven on the ghost kitchen, but the fries were hey. six dollars. So like it was a whole thing. So definitely no price point across the board ever for this yeah. place. No, but. We have to talk about the three different experiences. So the first experience, these taste, they, they were not great tenders to me. I wouldn't have recommended them the first time. I think we I think, felt Didn't we bad. accuse them of being frozen or something? They just like, they were very proud of the whole situation. The manager came out. Uh, he, for some reason, found out that we, that we host a chicken tender podcast. And obviously yeah, yeah, they're known right. for their tenders. So like... It was a whole thing that we kind of had like a little bit of a pre- pressure on us, I feel like. So maybe we he, weren't. The manager DM'd us like multiple yeah. times over the next couple of weeks after and we And he still went. does. He just DM'd and us about a place in Vegas. So like. That's right. Yeah. All great. Like we love them. The great group of people. John's been on the show. Like it's, it's been fun. But that first, that first time, I just did not like the tenders at all. I thought, I mean, especially like obviously I went into it knowing that they were so overpriced. But. I just couldn't I couldn't get behind supporting those tenders. So I was upset about that experience a little bit. I think they walked away with like 10 points, um, which is right on average for us. Cut to Tenderfest, where we got to go, and Delilah's had a booth there. So we had Delilah's tenders at Tenderfest, and no exaggeration, they were some of the best tenders I've ever had. They could have been, they were easily in the top three of the whole fest, I feel absolutely. like. Absolutely. I mean, I think they're, yeah, absolutely. And um, they were great. They looked great. They had a great size. They were crispy. The beautiful color, tasted I, great. Was quality meat. One higher than a great size. After I ate, after we ate yesterday, yesterday, I went back to the video and watched it just so I could see the Delilah tenders. And when yeah. I saw them, I was like, "Damn, yeah. look at those!" Can I yeah. can I interrupt for just a second? Absolutely. I. It has been a pleasure to remind myself how much you guys care about chicken tenders <laughs> i love it i'm so delighted <laughs> Thank we're, you. we're very passionate about this experience because this is our this is our third time with these guys and, and each experience has been so different you went to the wild. tail of the tape you went to the tape i know <laughs> you went to the tape <laughs> oh my Farley, god Farley, you have no idea how upset i was yesterday. incredible he texted me I, this is Rarely does Michael text me and say, I have to tell you my opinion before we record <laughs> because then, you know, what's the fun of that? But he had, I was like, and my food was literally arriving as he texted me. I was like, wait till I'm done. And then text me and he went off on them, which we'll get into. But, um, so, so yeah. So the second experience, amazing, super fun. We met the, some of the other owners. They talked about their, their special ranch that they make, yeah, how they, they marinate the chicken, all that stuff. Cut to today. Okay. It's time to give Delilah's a second chance. The first time was not great. The second time was borderline amazing. So the third time is going to be the deciding factor here. Um, so we ordered, and um, I guess just like let's get into it. What, what what did we order here? 
Let's go around well, the table. Well, Farley, you go first. What did you get? So I just got a box of tenders, and I did get some jalapeno poppers because why the hell not? You know, Sure, it's sure. The gotta try some stuff. Yeah, I got to save a few to put into my gin and tonic later, just like really <laughs> mashing up all of my worst emotional <laughs> eating and drinking <laughs> habits in one. Um, so I got the box. I picked it up from the space because I was in the neighborhood, ate them on the hood of my car, as I've been prone to do during such insane times. And yeah, I, I got to be honest with you, they and this is my problem with ghost kitchen stuff in general. I think travel and holding temperatures really, really matter. The reason yeah. you see in every fucking chef TV show and movie that they're like, pick up this food now. And as soon as it goes into the hot window, it goes out is because especially with fried food, it just has a limited window in which it's great and crunchy and everything you want it to be. My tenders yeah. were still warm, but they started to get that sort of slippery coating where, you know, the crispiness is sort of waned and it's going to slip off the chicken and I can dip it in a bunch of ranch and I'm happy to eat every single bite of that, but it's not what you want. It's not getting it right out of the fryer at tender fest when you can hold it in your hand and it's golden and yeah. crispy and glistening. I will say, I don't think that these are, are very crispy tenders to begin with, Right. but man, they got soggy fast. Yeah. Were, you, were yours I, like borderline soggy? Mine were fucking juice, dude. Yeah. They were, they You're were close just. To them. How was it so? I have no idea. I'm down the street. It did not take much time at all. But and it's not just the chicken tenders for me. So I was so fucking excited to You're do yelling. this all week. I'm, I'm fucking pissed. I was so excited to do this all week. And I finally sat down to do it. I ordered the chicken tenders. I've been on a huge burger kick recently. So I was like, this, I'll, you know what? I'll get a, a double cheeseburger. Um, and uh, Ellen got a salad. So <laughs> I've never heard more disdain it, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're getting divorced. Yeah, that salad was the only redeeming factor of the order. Ooh. The chicken tenders that I got were, uh, mark off every bad thing, soggy. They tasted burnt. Some of them didn't even have breading on them. They were smaller than the palm of my hand. I took a picture of them next to a fucking computer mouse, and they were easily... It wasn't like they were the same size as the computer mouse. They were much smaller than the computer mouse. It's fucking insane to me, especially since on their pictures, this is one of those places, and I expect better from somewhere like Lila's. You are so other, angry. There's other ghost kitchens that took all the all their product photos and they they you're going to get away with getting their shit chicken because they have really nice photos but there's no name to the place it's just some sort of nameless ghost kitchen called like crispy's yummy chicken or some bullshit but you'd think that Lila's someone who cares so much about um, the way that they come, they, they appear to the public and how they like, can roll with like a higher crowd of people, they're going to have these beautiful product photos. Your food needs to look even somewhat remotely like the photos. But the chicken tenders that I got didn't look a thing like the photo. It fucking drives me insane. And the cheeseburger was easily the worst cheeseburger I've ever had in my life. Ever had? It was a, ever I truly had? I, I truly believe that. I don't I've, know. What, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of animosity coming into this review. I don't know that. You no, <laughs> I, I want to like them. I like them. I love John. John was a really cool guy. The guy took his time to come over during Tenderfest and tell us on camera exactly how they make their chicken tenders. I have no problems with them, but I just, they botched this for me. I can't believe how poor of an experience I had from somewhere like this. The chicken, the, the burgers, if you're going to do like a thick burger, which right now the smash burger craze is going on, and it's nice that they're going to do a thick burger, but they didn't even ask how you wanted it cooked, and they were like big, thick discs of just gray meat. It, it was so overcooked. 
and just like so soggy and gross. And I thought I was alone. I didn't even ask. I didn't even make a face. I gave Ellen one of the tenders. She took a tiny bite and just threw it right back at my plate. She didn't not even want the rest of it. She was like, those are terrible tenders. I can't believe this. I don't know. I just I want scathing. I have not. I do not have the same feelings as you. Uh, definitely not as passionate for sure. I will say I will. I will agree. No size. So no size. No price. No crunch point. Off yeah, the bat. Yeah, no crunch. They were soggy. Uh, I don't think they were ever really meant to be crunchy. So I don't think they were ever going to get that point. But, but it is. It's a, it's a thing where the skin gets like paper mache, where it starts to yeah, fall off, like, and it's like a little sticky tack. Kind of just push it off. Yeah. But um, I wonder, like, do, do you think that that's because they're using the rice flour like 40 Love does? Probably. You're not getting that craggy sort of... Because like, they don't have milk. that craggy, yeah. yeah, the really hard crunch. Right. But either and, way, like, it does not speak, hold up. To your point about delivering, um, Eric Greenspan actually took his time to figure out what is the best way to bread a chicken tender so that it delivers well. Because if you're going to do a and ghost how to kitchen... Package it. Yep, packaging if you're going to do a ghost kitchen... Um, then you need to know how to, how to make sure you can deliver it with it staying crispy. Right. So I think I think maybe they they have a good recipe, but they only give it in restaurants. So they're like, let's just do the same recipe and deliver it out, not realizing that it's going to to affect the quality. I mean, that could have been it. I maybe I expected way too much of them. I don't know why. It sounds like I you mean, did. Eric obviously set the bar for this, but if you're gonna take somewhere where you have uh, multiple sit-down restaurants and then just convert your concept of your whatever food you're serving at those restaurants to just delivery, I would have totally expected Lila's to have taken some time and figure out how to p- package it properly. And, right, and this goes to the greater idea of the moment that we're in and the ghost kitchen model in general, is that if you are that second type of ghost kitchen where you have brand relevance for a physical restaurant location and you've gone and if you know, you're know you Drake and had a great, lo- great experience, to then get these as takeout and expect the same thing even though it's cooked and processed in an entirely different way and probably sat in a car for a while it's really really hard to overcome that i think some of the failing quote unquote of a situation like this has less to do with the company or the recipe and more to do with the fact that this is the only thing that these guys can do to make a living right now and of course it's less than ideal it sucks it has to be that way um we we had an issue a few weeks ago where we reviewed a restaurant and it did not go well. Um, and the place listened and then blocked us and then said some hurtful things in our DMs. Yeah. Called Michael a douche. Yeah, he um, called me a douche. Are you, are you, but, but I actually was defending him the entire time. Are you, True. Are you comfortable was, saying their name? I mean, I can go back and listen, I guess. Uh, hot yeah, Chicks. Yeah, it was Hot Chicks. Oh, got it. Yeah, I'm not surprised. And, they, uh, and, they're uh, not a fan of us. But listening now, I, I, I understand why they called Michael a douche. I mean, I, hey, I I didn't have any of those opinions then. I was I was uh, that's true. I that. mean, if, I, if you're this is the episode you're being a douche. Actually, we're gonna get a DM. It's from just John how Terzian. I feel. I hey, listen, it, John Terzian and Hwood. If you're listening, I'm I like you guys. I really wanted to enjoy this. I just really don't. I really didn't have a good experience this time. That's not to say that I don't recommend it. In fact, given the tenders that I had at Chicken or at Tender Fest, I I'm st- I would still recommend these tenders. Right. I think that's the most mind-blowing thing. We've had it three different times. Um, you know, there's three of us, so we had three different experiences just today as well. And each time they've been different. So I, I, I do wonder, like, what what is the issue with that? But let's get into some points, because I feel like we've been dragging them for 20 minutes. Um, 
I obviously we give them a Postmates points. We give points yeah. farly to any restaurant that's open during the pandemic and delivering and just kind of a, a an extra point since we can't really go there. Um, and then we also I want to give them an atmosphere point because we know what Delilah's is about. We know what it looks like inside. We know what it's like going there. I'm pretty sure that's a point we would have gave them last time as well. And I, I would also say in terms of ghost kitchen atmosphere, you know, they go out of their way to make the packaging right. They could have just tucked yeah. some styrofoam or tinfoil or whatever. They're trying in that sense, and the branding still clearly matters. So I think that's – Well, that right. was my next point uh, was a branding point. I think yeah, I love I, their Yeah, I really do love the branding. I love the their branding, box yeah. and all that stuff. So. It looks they take they take like the 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 sleekness of being at Delilah, and they put yeah. it into a box. Yeah, exactly. And I like that. That's really nice. So three points to start. Um, sure. But let's get into the actual food. Now, obviously, no size, no crunch. We talked about that. Um, but I got to say, these were some of the most flavorful 10. I mean, listen, I am like almost completely opposite with you. I think these are some of the best tenders we've had during quarantine. Well, it did, yes, they were soggy. Though? Yes, they were small. But they had um, a great mouthfeel. There was no sinew. It was quality white meat. Um, sure. I do think, I don't think they were burnt. I do think that they were like little dark cragglies, but I think that was like the seasoning. So I feel like maybe you were just like in a heated rage and you, and you were like, then they're burnt too. Why not? Well, um, no, I mean, it's that, and I'm not upset about if they're burnt. Maybe, it's, maybe I just didn't like the flavor. I don't like whatever flavor they're using in their, in their, whatever seasoning they use in their breading. I just don't like. Okay. So what about the overall flavor of the tender though? Because I think it wasn't, it was not in any way bland. Um, they were tiny as fuck, but goddamn, was it good quality chicken? Yeah. You're right. There was absolutely no sinew, so I would say quality point for Complete, sure. Complete, absolutely. I, I sent you guys a photo of my chicken on Instagram, so you can see it. And it was, you know, they're they're pretty plump. Mine, they're they're small, like you said, maybe a little bit bigger than a mouse. But I felt like the quality of the chicken that you did get, and being able to see little nuggets of salt or little granules of salt and stuff, I think is was definitely a quality point in their favor. Yours look amazing. Wait, were they? Were they still pretty small? I mean, they look kind of big in the photo, but yeah, the, the photo is like you know, it's that sort of forced perspective, so they look a little bit bigger. Yeah. They, they were they were larger than a, a apple mouse, but not by much. But the they're not entirely the same shape throughout, which I think is a yeah to their quality. And so you do get some thin bits and some thicker bits, but the the actual meat itself, I think, is is great. Yeah, yours look worlds different from the way mine right. looks, and that's an issue. That's part of the consistency problem that you're going to run into no matter what. I'll send you mine. To, to the group. Mine look a little darker. I mean, obviously, then they're soggy as well. Um, but yeah, so I, so definitely quality. So do, what about the flavor, though? Do, do we agree that the flavor... I feel like there's definitely some <sighs> marinade going on here. Maybe, maybe a little... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to give them a point off personal preference. So it's like, I'm not going to argue if, they, if you <clears throat> outvote me. You know, I'm not going to be upset if you outvote me. That's personal preference. I didn't love the seasoning that they used on these. That's just me. I would, okay. I would give them a point. I, I'm in Eric's camp. Uh, these were, you know, as, outside of being soggy and having that sort of issue where you're not going to get the sort of satisfaction of sitting down and getting them really hot out of the fryer, I think that flavor-wise, they still hit the point for me. Yeah. Um, thank you. See, Michael, you're wrong here. It's not about I don't think there's a right or I'm wrong. It's an opinion. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what else are we going into? So color and appearance. I will say, you know, to your point about the burnt thing, maybe not a color point, but Farley's look great. I would give Farley's a color point. Yeah, I didn't have any. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean. So maybe just an appearance point. 
I could get behind the way they look. I mean, that, that picture you sent me was great. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I could get behind an appearance point. I don't know about color. Although, honestly, the color of Farley's picture looks great, too. But I looking at yeah. the one you got, the other one that got sent, I think that color is too dark. I think, it, you know, that yeah. that's verging on problematic for me. So I'd hesitate to give the color point. Although mine looks better. Yes. Mine looked more like Eric's for sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, mine were definitely not the ideal color like yours. So we we can we can pull back on the color point. Um, but one point I will give them as a quantity point. How many tenders did you guys get? Yeah, I got like eight or seven or eight probably. I don't yeah. know. I don't and know I if, this six. Is, if this is just me and my job. I got sixty-eight tenders. Sixty-eight. No. <laughs> oh God, I wish uh, they came out in a wheelbarrow. Like truck is filled with them. I had uh, <laughs> I had like I think seven in total. Yeah. Yeah. Size doesn't That's matter if you get a quantity. wheelbarrow of tenders <laughs> at that point. I'd say especially for $11, that's a solid quantity, right? Yeah. yeah. And I do remember for $22 or $24 at Delilah, what did you get, like three or four? Right. And yeah, I, I think you got four. And this goes, so, this goes in some ways back to the conversation about like what we can kind of see come out of this pandemic is right now people are offering comfort food at a relatively inexpensive price because it's a model yeah. everybody can get behind and you, totally. and you're going to see that continue for a while. So I'm glad that they're able to offer volume and value in place of being able to make things perfect. Otherwise. Sure. Yeah. Um, what else do we have to talk about for these? Uh, do we want to get into sauce corner? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's get into sauce corner. Uh, Farley, you go first. What did you think of the two sauces that were given to us? I got a ranch and I got the slightly spicy barbecue sauce. Now I've got to tell you, this barbecue sauce didn't do a thing for me. Oh, me neither. I'm like, you know, if you're, if you're going to try to go out on a limb, give me sweet baby rays, just really make it sweet. I'll get it off the shelf, whatever I want. The, the fact that this didn't have any advertised heat was kind of a bummer. I took maybe two barbecue dips and then was like straight back to ranch. Yeah, the barbecue just had a stank to it that I was not about. Yeah. Like it's almost like uh, it was almost like a bourbony, but not not like the sweet bourbon. Like, I don't know. It just had like this like I don't know, like almost like a stringent flavor. Yeah, yeah. I, di- I didn't um, that I was not about more than two bites of that on the ranch side. You know, you said I don't know if they're still making their ranch in house or whatever the case may be. I like <laughs> the ranch w- that they give you here, where it's got that kind of thick viscosity, where it's really going to cling to the tender instead of a lot of times people make their own ranch and it ends up being really thin. Uh, yeah, that's my shit. I love that. Yeah, I, I I just want that like hefty ranch bite, and I I was enjoying it for sure. Yeah. I'll say this was a good ranch, and I know that uh, you know when I went back and I watched the Tenderfest video, I the, the guy came over and he explained the herb branch, and uh, I wonder if this was the same ranch. I don't I don't know if it is, because at Tenderfest I was fucking stoked on it, but maybe I've just had m- different ranches since then. You know, I didn't feel as stoked as I saw past Michael in the video. Uh, but I did really like the ranch, and I would say that it was the saving grace of the tenders. For as upset as I was about the chicken tenders, I ate all of them. And uh, yeah, and this is a very good point. If there were no sauces included, would I have eaten all of the chicken tenders? I think the answer is no. I would not have either. But that ranch, you know, I cover me in that ranch. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So I'd say I could give, I could get behind a, a ranch point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's the only point that I would give for sauces. I, I can't wait to, to have a place that just knocks out all the sauces. And w- now, let me ask you guys this. Are you 
are you fans of doing all of the sauces in house, including ketchup, or where do you draw the line on, on like versus having a quality brand that everyone knows and trusts, or doing it yourself? Oh, did somebody say ketchup? <laughs> Eric, Eric, I finally up. get to talk during Sauce Corner. Um, I the only ketchup that's in house that I like is McDonald's. Okay. Any other any other I mean, ketchup, I can just take Kinds and I'll be happy with it. I know Jollibee has like banana ketchup, which I didn't get a chance to try. Um, and I have had a spicy ketchup. Did I have, is that was that at the improv? I accidentally had spicy ketchup. Yeah, I can't remember where <laughs> they didn't tell us that. It, yeah, that was that was a scary experience. That was that was shocking for me on stage. Golden State on uh, on Fairfax has a curried ketchup that's really fucking yeah, good. Yeah, the curried ketchup is is something I can get behind, and you can get bottled curried ketchup different places. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I'm I'm dialing it into Heinz and just staying there every time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if you, I mean, for ke- it's, it depends on the sauce. Ketchup, yeah, I think I just want Heinz. But if you're going to make your own ketchup, I'll try yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if you're going to make your own sauces in-house, at least just make them good, which is a really stupid thing to say, but I don't know how else to describe it. A lot of times people seem to make their own and they go a little too whack with it, and it just, it doesn't work for them. Yeah. I need a stand, I need a standby. What if, what if I need to cover them all in sauce? You know? Here's here's what a place should do. Next time, next time you guys get outed like you did at Delilah, and you go in and people know that you're a tender aficionado, mm-hmm. uh, I think they should put you know, give me a house made, give me off the shelf, and then put them both in front of you in small deli cups and let you choose. You know, you decide. I think that would be a very sure. fun experience. Every place we go to, we pull out white gloves. <laughs> like this is the right. moment we decide if your tender friends approved or not. <laughs> I'll pull out like a little pipette and like yeah. take some of the sauce <laughs> and put it in my pocket. <laughs> I'll test this later. Have you been making uh, anything interesting, like cooking uh, anything of note over this uh, pandemic? Does it count if you put alcohol over ice? Is that a recipe? Because that's I mean, if it's if it's intricate enough. Yeah, I, I saw if you, you were wrote making down, some sourdough, though, right? You, your yeah. sourdough picks look pretty fire. Yeah, I, I joined the uh, legions of other uh, white Americans and immediately making too much sourdough. Uh, mm. yeah. no, that that's been good, honestly. Like I, you guys know this. I. I I'm probably 75 pounds down from where I was almost two years ago yeah. now. So it's been a challenge to not have my routine and be able to like do the shit that was like keeping me sort of sane and healthy. But sourdough has been that it's less about eating it and more about the process. So I get to be home yeah, and taking care of it. Yeah. Them. Yeah. You just sort yeah. of getting on away from it's fun to give it to people too. Yep. Exactly. So that's, that's been really great. But otherwise I'm cooking simple meals a few nights a week and trying to pick up stuff as much as I can realistically. Let me actually ask you, I didn't think to ask you this, but I'm going to now. I decided to learn how to make soft pretzels during quarantine. Hell yeah. But like but like Philly style soft pretzels, which I don't know if you know the difference. It's more, more elongated and like an eight. Um, and uh, so I, I spent like March and April perfecting my own recipe for that, which I've never done before. But like legit, like came up with my own recipe that worked based on other ones. But then... I saw three different spots open up during quarantine that are Philly soft pretzel places. <laughs> so my question to you is, how do I get to write an Eater article comparing all three to my own recipe? <laughs> um, going to say, my question is, did I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, hey, listen, I, we had the Tender Friends bump. Yeah. Chicken tenders have been off the map. Every fucking franchise, think about it. Del Taco, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, 
every one of these places, fucking Outback Steakhouse, all, all these places have, or not Outback. Chili's. They, they just no, started fucking doing, uh, Olive Garden, dude. Olive Garden. Kitchen. Yeah, Olive, like all these places after Tender Friends launched in 2017 have started having chicken tenders on the menu. So that's the Tender Friends bump. Is the soft pretzel bump real too? Maybe. If you guys want to do 152 episodes about pretzels, I think you'll see the bump. Absolutely. I, I could, yeah. <laughs> uh, I could, absolutely. Well, th- this is this is all part of the same ecosystem of conversation that we are doing, especially underground folks cooking out of their apartment because they got the fucking... Yeah. People are doing comfort food, stuff that matters to them that they aren't necessarily seeing everywhere. And so you guys are probably absolutely right. You were at the beginning of some crazy shit where it's like, now there's going to be 50 pretzel places the way there was 50 Smashburger places. The one thing I'm still holding out hope for is like, give me an East Coast style calzone and stromboli takeout spot. Mm. Uh, like sure there stromboli are, ro- like there ro- are no strombolis out here huh yeah like big mamas and big i haven't mamas. even heard that word in a while exactly <laughs> must have just, stromboli, uh, but like philly all the way up the coast it's like you yeah. need a fucking stromboli ronin on melrose does a good calzone and it's sort of like an homage to like the philippe's french dip so it's it's really good but not exactly what you traditionally expect but there's not a lot of great calzones man and i think the yeah. who starts doing that on the underground is gonna blow it up Mm. Yeah, that, that that makes it. That's so funny. I, like Stromboli just like brought back like childhood memories from the pizza shop across the street from me. Like, that, um, that's funny. Yeah, I went to a pop up last week that had pastrami Stromboli. Ooh, and it was pretty good, but it was you know not quite traditional Stromboli right. with, that that we're looking for right now. I am not like too particular about like oh this is the best version of whatever, but there really is not much great pizza out here. Okay. It's, it's like, oh, it's the water and the dough. And there's a lot of different factors. I mean, I don't think I've found any one great place. Um, Pepe's in Studio City is pretty good. Uh, they're across from my office at, at CBS. Um, and then there's a place on Sunset, Geo's maybe. Um, other than that, I really have rarely found good pizza out here, I feel like. Man, I think that's if you're looking purely for like the New York City sort of East Coast, crunchy, yeah. thin, wide pizza style. I think you're you're going to be a little hard pressed. You should try Superfine in downtown. I think that place is really quality. Um, Superfine is banging, but it's it's. But me, is that like a more like gourmet? Because I, I don't no, know. It's a small uh, slice okay. only. It's, yeah, it's a window. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. a window. I mean, it's run by the people who do Rosso Blue, so they use quality yeah. ingredients, but it's very, very mm. casual. I think you might be hard-pressed to find the kind of low-key Italian, every East Coast town has one spots, but yeah. LA has great pizza, man. It's just a little different than what you think. We've got spots that you know blow Neapolitan out of the water. There's a whole like kind of uh, Detroit-style pan pizza revolution that's happening. Even the deep dish out here is good. It's just that New York thing that I think harkens to a memory that you probably have that isn't getting yeah. filled and, and maybe never will. And that's a bummer. Like I, I want you to love the pizza here. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Shout was, out the Chicago Tavern pizza that's coming out here right now. Yeah, yeah. I love that shit. Too. I'm so stoked to see it. Yep. Completely agree. Um, okay. Let's uh let's transition from our pizza podcast back to the tenders. <laughs> um, one sauce point. Do we have anything else about the tenders? I'm trying to think. I should have wrote I should have written down uh the specifics, but I think I think we've touched on most of my points. Any points that you guys have? I'll tell you this. They had a little promotion going on where you could order a little date night with your dog um, for free. What does that mean? So I 
I put it in my cart, and they sent Olive a bandana, a tennis ball, a bag of treats. It was like they're partnering with some Postmates company that uh, you can order your dog food through, I guess. I don't know. But Olive got a ton of free shit from this, so wow. that's nice. That Does is, it get a point? cool. I feel like I might want to give it a point, but you guys can fight me on that. Well, I, I'd be comfortable wrapping it up into this larger idea of like, now is the moment where doing the small stuff matters. Having the packaging yeah. matters, being able to, you know, execute on delivery. And that's where some people are pushing back on places like Postmates because the delivery is ultimately out of their hands and they can't control the end user experience and stuff. But I think Delilah is more than a lot of other places is, is choosing to care. And the fact that they are Hwood Group Overall, you know, they've got uh, Mama's Guy, which is kind of doing like red sauce Italian that they do out of the nice guy. I, I think there's something to that, that they seem to be a group that is with care going into the ghost kitchen market yeah. when a lot of other people aren't. And the packaging you're talking about for your dog is part of that. I mean, I put it this way, too. Now that I got all my anger out, I feel like I was angry because I expected so much more of them than I would expect from uh, a, a shitty ghost kitchen on Postmates. Right. I and agree. I think that's that, 100% your perception. But, but you, And you also expected what you got at Tenderfest. And so the fact that they fall yeah. somewhere in the middle makes it really yeah. sad. And I think that's a real problem right now with a lot of the restaurants. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think if they can, if they can, if they can beef up the science behind packaging and keeping it fresh for a, lo a long delivery, like other places can mm -hmm. do it. We've seen mm -hmm. it. They they may be more or less unstoppable. Yeah. See, that's why we like having you on, Farley, because you could find the you could find the point through the weeds, you know. <laughs> so this is so I would say yeah, this is more of like a staff point, which is something that we did give them last time because yeah. we well, me and Alex were flirting with the way because Eddie yeah. Eddie was a cool guy. And let's hope Eddie. Eddie's doing okay out in this. Uh, pandemic shout out eddie yeah I, I think an overall point for that sort of staff care attention i think that's definitely warranted yeah and then the fair. other thing to your point is you're right these i think these tenders fall in between our first experience and our tender fest experience uh, but i think they are much closer to tender fest than they are to the first experience um you guys may sure. agree to disagree on that it sounds like yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I, the first experience was so long ago. I just have that Tenderfest vision in my head. Yeah. yeah. Um, any other points that we want to give them then? How were the poppers? you like the popper? Honestly, the poppers were garbage, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair, 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 fair. Oh, you know what? That's another thing I want to talk about. The, the French fries were also garbage. They, I, think, I think these types of French fries are the worst type of French fries to give, which are like the very, very thin. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. shoestring, shoestring. Oh. which is like borderline yeah. chips. I think like sh Chicken Shack in Vegas had a little bit thicker ones than these, but they were also very thin, but they had great seasoning. Don't give me just a bowl of dry shoestring fries. Yeah. Sticks. Like, I didn't I'm know. Not, I, I saw them that they were, saw they were $6.99. I didn't even attempt because I knew that they weren't going to hold up well on delivery. Yeah. I mean, they held up because they were just like bricks of potato. Like they were like, <laughs> they were very potato. stiff. The poppers had that kind of like cornmeal exterior you know where it, and, and again mm. it steams in the box and so it's not even crispy and there's like yeah. cheese on the inside but it's all kind of lukewarm they were they were basura unfortunately mm. uh. um and i guess my last point to the point of like no sinew and everything that this i they had a great texture of mouthfeel it wasn't just like a normal yeah i i i would give them a, a mouthfeel point or a, 
not yeah, a chunky had, meat mouth, you, but like a, uh, I, I, it, it. They were velvety. Tasted good to chew. I don't know. They, they were velvety. Yeah, that was nice. The they were of quality for tenders, especially in a city as large as Los Angeles. I completely mm-hmm. agree. Give them a mouthfeel point. That dog thing is pretty cute, point. though. Yeah, it's nice. No, no other place. So no other place is doing that. First place that's ever given me anything for Olive in 152 yeah. places. It's like Starbucks. Little, little pup cup. Little pup cup, yeah. Well, uh, Delilah's is leaving now. Well, Lila's, I should say, uh, yeah, is Lila's. leaving now with the same amount of points they had last time. Okay. Ten points. Hey, listen, they could have gotten a better score uh, by doing a couple small things. I mean, I wish we would have rated their... Tender fast tenders because, like I said, those are some of the best. So maybe I mean maybe it's the ghost kitchen thing, but then it's like the restaurant ones were even worse than that. So like I, it's kind of mind blowing like the whole experience with Delilah's over the years. Yeah, hey, who knows? I don't even know what to say. Let Let me just say this too: if we are all being a little more generous than usual because of the uncertain times, and they get a they get a number that's maybe a little higher than it would have been if we'd had a bad experience during pre pandemic years, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're falling right back where they were the first time, so I think it's um it all checks out. Exactly. I mean Denny's Denny started with five, and they're leaving with six or seven. It's not great either way. Uh, and Delilah's is, is staying right where they were the last time we reviewed them. I do think they were a little better, though. Denny's don't ever need to fucking try again. No. Delilah had the same number. Uh, this is their second chance. It's not definitively the end for me. Honestly, no, because like this is the third time and they've all been different. I have to. I kind of yeah, have to see a fourth time. <laughs> like, I don't know. And will Delilah, <laughs> will it ever be the end? No, probably not. Guys, Delilah is going to be the one that keeps coming I'm back. I'm looking at my calendar now. My 2022 is wide open. I'm excited to get back and check it out <laughs> with you guys. Great. We'll pencil it in right now. <laughs> well, Farley, thank you for, uh, for joining us again. It was great to have you back. Do you have anything you want to plug or mention anything you're working on that we should look forward to after the pandemic, maybe a new book or anything? Yeah. You know, uh, you can find my writing at la.eater.com. I have a book that's called Los Angeles street food history from Tamaleros to tacos trucks. I, I think if there was anything I was really going to plug, it would be to, you know, um, arrest the cops who killed Brianna Taylor and, uh, mm-hmm. black lives matter. You know, why not shout it from the rooftops every chance we get hundred percent. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again for being on. Uh, it was great to talk to you and great to catch up. You know, so much information. I was so interested to uh, hear your thoughts and everything. So I'm glad we got to do that. Yeah, I, I appreciate you taking the time. And I'm, I'm always happy to have an excuse to eat more tenders in my car. <laughs> way to clock town. Yeah, this is this is the second H Wood Group thing you've done, I guess, right? <laughs> we have to take you to like uh, like a shitty chain next. Yeah, yeah right, just yeah, no Denny, yeah. I guess. No, I mean, Denny's is off our list forever now. Uh, but I hop. Still lurking in the background. Hey. Never know. <laughs> you can follow us. Hang on. Course and motorcycle just started. Do the outro, Michael. You can find us. At, I don't even know where our handles are. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at tenderfriendspod, or you can send us an email at friends.tender at gmail.com. Send us an email. We don't get enough emails. It's true. Like, share, subscribe. Do everything that you would do for other things that you like, and do it for us. Yeah, yeah, that's the point, right? Farley, thank you again for being on. It was great seeing you. Good to see you, fellas. Bye. Tender friend.